Hello and welcome to Building Brand You, the show where we help you to accelerate your success, getting you more clients, more revenue, more business and more opportunities by unlocking your greatest asset, you. My name is Kim Hainer. I'm an international business coach, a recognized global expert on leadership and visibility, and I designed this podcast for you to help you unlock what you already have and to give you a whole host of tools and techniques that you can implement in order to accelerate your success and build your own brand you. We also publish exclusive material, offers and behind the scenes content in our Building Brand You Facebook group. And if you'd like to find out more about our Building Brand You coaching programs, you can book a free 20 minute call with me where we'll explore where you are and whether Building Brand You coaching is the right fit for you. You'll find both of those links, as well as many others, in the show notes. So let's unlock this episode and lift the lid on what's next in Building Brand You. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special season of Building Brand You Down Under, where we're going to be focusing on healthy brand and healthy business. Today's episode is all about Healthy Planet, and I am delighted to welcome Fabian Datner as my special guest. I've known Fabian over Zoom for about three years now through another one of my my wonderful business partners, Kit Jackson. And we have been associated with the group Homeward Bound Projects together. It's an initiative that is all about uh, equipping women in STEM to really change the future of our planet. And I am delighted she has agreed to come on the podcast and share her thoughts on Healthy Planet as part of this series. A little about Fabian. Fabian is the founder and CEO of Datna Group, a leadership consultancy specialising in sustainable cultural transformation, executive development, senior leadership development, and working with women. Well known as an inspiring leader, ethics commentator, and women's leadership activist, Fabian is passionate about challenging leadership paradigms and advocates for engaged and collaborative culture. With over 36 years in a vast array of sectors, Fabian utilizes her visionary skill, strategic thinking ability, and deep understanding to help leaders recognize that leadership is a key leverage point for the greater good. Creator of Compass, a leadership program unlocking courage in women, and the founder of Homeward Bound, a global initiative which sees women in STEM journey to Antarctica, Fabian gives women the skills to face the critical challenges and amplify their leadership role globally. Fabian has received numerous awards, contributes to the media regularly, and has written three books. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Fabian Datner. Well, hello, Fabian. How are you today? Thanks for joining us on the Building Brand New podcast. Hello, Kim. It's lovely to be here. You and I have known each other remotely for quite some time, but um, 
I just think that the best way for us to introduce you to our listeners is to pass the mic over to you. I think you will tell your story far better than I will. So without further ado, let me hand the mic over and ask you to tell us who is Fabian Datner? What's your story? Well, it's my pleasure to tell you and your listeners that story and to keep it as brief as I can. Famed as I am for being able to talk without drawing breath under wet cement for days on end. So to give me such an open-ended question is joy from my perspective. Don't hesitate to tell me when enough is enough. First of all, it's quite extraordinary to be talking to you in Australia. I do feel like I've been looking at your face for quite a while (laughs) as we run a, I hope to run a global initiative online and only to discover while you're here that we are accidentally going to be in Alice Springs, which is, for our listeners, is at the absolute centre of Australia, very remote location, on exactly the same day, both on holidays, and we're going to pass like ships in the night. So I'm going to wave to you somewhere in the desert, and you should probably (laughs) tell me where you're actually going. Yes, I will. if If I was to describe myself... I am first and foremost a social entrepreneur, so I'm interested in what it takes to put ideas together uh, that is for the betterment of all. Uh, Secondly, I am a um, leadership activist, and what I mean by that is I have felt for a very, very long time, as in some 38 years, that the world we are needing to move into rather than fearing we will move into requires substantially different styles of leadership and that the hierarchical military I over we predominantly male western model of leadership is now insufficient to the task at hand and I'm not talking about individuals I'm talking about the practice of leadership so I've spent the last 38 years uh reading, learning, becoming qualified in uh, facilitating, coaching and designing for and about leaders uh, in the context of change and in that journey acquiring many, many different diagnostic accreditations. I specialise in in what makes human beings tick and in understanding more about what makes human beings tick, helping them to evolve as they can see is appropriate to the times in which we live. Uh, the, the third element is that I am um, a lay scientist. I have a deep passion for and love of science as it informs what is happening to the planet. And I have spent a huge part of my life in wilderness and have watched its progressive degradation as our population has massively increased even in this short window of time. And I know enough about the evolution of a universe to know our brief moment on the planet is a tiny speck of time, but even so, it could be worth fighting for if indeed we are the only planet, the only evolved species of our kind that we can find at this time. So I'm a social entrepreneur, I'm a leadership activist, that is I I fight very hard, as does our company, for an evolved approach to leadership. I'm a lay scientist, I love science, and I believe in evidence-based decision-making and not using science selectively. And science has been screaming from the wilderness since the, really the early 70s, 
about the trajectory humans were on and their voices have got more grief-stricken, louder and more strident in the last 20 years. And in the last decade, it's gone into panic mode. In the last five minutes, it's almost gone into I give up. And uh, uh, and a recognition that we live in the Anthropocene era and um, there's no not a great deal of evidence of our capacity to change. And finally, I have increasingly become um, uh, a vocal supporter of and work extensively with women uh, to elevate their visibility as leaders in our world. And I do this because you know, abundant research that I've both been involved in, done, read, studied, used, makes it pretty clear that um, actually more women leading is really good for all of us. They would appear, whether it's conditioned or bred in the bone, we don't really know, to be more collaborative, inclusive, legacy-minded. And those are assets that we sorely need at the moment. And, you know, if we imagine the arc of the universe as a pendulum, it swung towards a very dominant male side of leadership on the left-hand side of the parabola. And uh, pendulums don't swing to the middle and stop. They've got to swing from side to find, side to find equilibrium. So I want there to be an equitable and informed approach to leadership as a practice, but to get that to even uh, gender balance, let alone inclusive of different traditions of leadership, we have to swing the arc up to the right-hand side. And so my involvement with women and leadership and visibility is a belief that we need what women bring in vast quantities. So I do a lot to help that both here and internationally, in Australia and internationally. Mm. I'm, I'm also a mum um, and I have uh, more pets than seems reasonable. <laughs> and, and I'm deeply in love with the man I married uh, 37 years ago. Um, and uh, family is super important to me. And I love exercising and reading and going into the wilderness. Oh, lovely. That sounds lovely. All of it, actually. Yeah. Um, I've, got, I've noted some questions and I kind of don't know where to start, really. Um, <laughs> I think that the thing that really, um, you know, struck me first when you were introducing yourself is sort of the when you talked about being a leadership activist and then at the end talking about focusing on women in visibility and it being not about individuals but more about um, sort of like this bigger, this approach, this way of leading rather than being gendered, if that makes sense. Is that a fair thing to say or do you think, have I got the wrong end of that well, stick? I think the ultimate, the ultimate outcome is there's no gender in leadership. There's no gender in the way we interact. Yeah. Now, that's not to say gender doesn't count. Of course it does. You know, 97% of people associate with birth gender. But rather to say the model of leadership shouldn't have an attachment either gender or nation or skin colour or religion. It is on behalf of many. Mm. And uh, the, my, my, my most relevant proposition is we're coming out of an I era where what I do, I make, I see, I have, I own, uh, I control is more important than what we have, what we control, what matters to us. And that I culture has seen a lot of people elevated into leadership roles uh, who have achieved a great deal personally but are not necessarily good leaders and often are outright terrible leaders. Mm. And we've confused uh, making money and leadership and they're not the same thing at all. A great leader may indeed 
ensure an organisation is profitable, but someone who pursues profit may not be a good leader. Mm. Is it possible for for someone who perhaps is profit-driven and, and not um, not a great leader, is it possible for them to become one or do you think that behaviour becomes so um, entrenched or is it society or, you know, what what is it that has them stick in that in that I space versus the we space, I guess? Well, there's a couple of things around this. One is making money and one is getting stuck in the I space as a leader. Uh, I, I, I've invested a lifetime in the proposition you build leaders, they're not born. And a leader has exposure to other leadership models. And often people whose focus is money have been exposed to people who've been successful making money. And we live in a time where we you, you, we eulogise, we put on pedestals, people who own a lot, have prestige attached to their name, they have a lovely house, a, a car, they wear beautiful clothing, they have the trimmings of wealth and overtly so, and I want some of what they have. And I see that they've pursued a particular approach in business, for instance, and being profitable at doing so, I want to emulate them because I want what they have. Um, It's a kind of when Sally met Harry moment. Yes. And the reality reality is that um, uh, the evolution of I to we is an evolution in value systems. So um, it could be said, uh, and this sort of references the very famous work of Claire Graves, who probably is the first and most dominant person to investigate value systems versus personal values. And it's a maturing phase. You know, the the, uh, we values that predate um, cowboy values, which are very I values, were largely religious and bureaucratic. They were about, uh, you know, the, the meek will inherit the kingdom of heaven, uh, and the, the cowboys said, well, good luck to you. Don't know about that one. I'm going to acquire one I get in my life. And the institutions of religion and government got more and more powerful. Um, uh, and uh, eventually the cowboys said, enough of the rules and regulations. I want to go play my own game. And so you're going to break away from collective rules and you're going to inherit something wonderful in the afterlife too, I want to have something wonderful now. And the rise of cowboy culture, which is very dominant in our world, in parts of our world, particularly, say, the US, um, where I have the right, and even if I'm I'm not nasty about it, I have the right to make and get in my life what I make and get. And if I choose to give some of that away, it's about, you know, famous... um, um, Nobel Prize winning economist Fred Hayek's theory of economics, if I choose to give the money away, that's my choice, but don't institutionalise social support. And so um, that culture was really good until its consumerism and its, its, its message to the rest of us was all about never being satisfied, never having enough. I never have enough. And so you know, Henry Ford develops modern production. Modern production gives us the Model T Ford at a progressively cheaper price. Suddenly there's a car in everyone's home. Well, I manufacture shoes. I can copy Henry Ford's manufacturing process, focus on efficiency and effectiveness in the production line, and then suddenly, Kim, you need two more pairs of shoes. And Kim was really happy with the two pairs of shoes she's got until she's shown how cheap another pair of shoes might be. And suddenly, you know, you and I, we won't count the shoes in our cupboard, but maybe we have more than 10, 15 or 20 pairs of shoes. 
and it doesn't seem odd to us where once upon a time we had our working shoes and our going out shoes, and that was enough. Yeah. Now, if you multiply that everywhere, you see the power of the I culture without thought to consequence. Mm. And the we culture is, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Are you aware of what is happening to the planet? And for listeners that are not aware of what's happening to the planet, go and listen to Johan Rockstrom's Breaking Boundaries, which is narrated by David Attenborough, and it will show you how dire our position is. We are in the era, as I said before, of the Anthropocene. That means every part of our planet is touched by our hand. Now, nature's rule of thumb with a very successful species is to get rid of it because that very successful species eats and consumes and shits so far and wide that the environment is damaged and the species starts to suffer. And science says we have about eight years, eight to ten years before that that's the truth unless we can pull back from, from the brink. Mm. So when I talk about I to we, it's that, that recognition that uh, in an enlightened space I should be free to have in my life what I want and to create what I want, but it cannot be at the expense of us. Yeah. It cannot be at the expense of what we hand over mm. because, as the famous Carl Sagan said, maybe no one is coming to rescue us from ourselves. Yeah. We better rescue ourselves. Oh, that's lovely. That, that, that's definitely going in the show notes, that, that quote, definitely. Um, I was also really struck as you were talking through that about, um, you know, this cowboy culture, this never enough, I need it, but the, also this, this now. If I can't see it and have it, now I'm not sure whether it's worth investing the effort kind of thing and I, and I you know I think that this lack of awareness about the planet perhaps falls into that because we've become well well you know I can't see it having an impact right now so what's the the motivation to keep um, you know acting in that in that we in that us way to create a better a better planet a better environment for all um do you think oh i mean we could go out into a thousand directions with this one the the price of the now is in your mobile phone Mm -hmm. the the text messages that you're always on and then when you're not on you're flicking through instagram or facebook or tiktok and then because you your brain is getting accustomed to short fast quick fixes you did all that then you got stuck on tiktok and you're flicking through 15 second vignettes and now you've got the chance to read a book that will activate your whole brain or flick on TikTok. You'll go for TikTok because it's just easier. And you will sit in one spot not moving for an hour doing nothing but seeing these tiny vignettes of human beings around the planet. Um, the, the obsession, the unbelievable millennial obsession with photographing the minutia of their lives as if anyone cared. We don't need to see that you had a frappuccino for breakfast. We don't need to see a smile because you've just got to the station. Nobody, nobody cares about that. But suddenly that's become the way we're interacting. And as it evolves, we're getting miserable. Mm. We're losing ourselves. You know, a lot of young people uh, have no way of, of comparing themselves or adjusting to who am I in this space? If I'm not validated by everything external to me, who am I? Can I live with myself? Do I know what I value? And then like people, you know, gurgling for oxygen, we suddenly lift ourselves up from technology, stumble out our back door and say something insane like, oh, I love being outside. <laughs> 
you know, of course you love being outside because you are meant to be outside. You are actually an animal and you're an animal whose cage is getting smaller and smaller and smaller because of this huge frontal cortex. Mm. So there's, there's a lot of things that are happening in our world now that are mad and crazy and wildly exciting concurrently. Mm. So tell us a little bit about the wildly exciting bit. Well, I have no doubt we'll talk about the madness later, but what what do you think is um, so wildly exciting about the possibilities that we we have in front of us? Oh, let's just take the James Webb goddamn telescope as a starting point. You know, this amazing 20-year effort of visionaries and astrophysicists and astronomers and engineers to create something that how, you know, 200 years ago, Galileo was trying to prove the Earth was in fact round. And now we have a telescope that looks out into space at the light of the beginning of time for our universe. Is that not extraordinary? Is that not extraordinary, those images of a world that looks like something infinitely Exquisite, beautiful, terrifying, and incomprehensible. So the birth and the growth of science, the first time they got in a boat and said, oh, my God, there is a land on the other side of the water. It's not flat. We didn't fall off. There isn't a turtle underneath us. So it's it's wildly exciting where the imagination of humans is taking. It's, I've just come back from a big conference in, um, in um, Helsingborg in Sweden for um, 1,500 uh, CEOs and executives of councils from across Europe, a few from Canada, America, a little bit from Asia, a little tiny sprinkling from over here. And these are all people who are looking for and sharing extraordinary innovations on recrafting what cities will mean in our future and and, um, uh, uh, clawing back the humanity of our cities, not building them for for building developers and cars and machines and, and you know, actually greening our cities and humanising them and seeing how in some cities they're excluding cars and they now have insect corridors on the roofs and they're greening the walls of the cities. So you begin to think what an amazing thing it could be 50 years from now if we all did that. Mm. You know, the, the, the dawning of a time where technology can give such a breadth of knowledge to, to ordinary people. I mean, I, there are times, I mean, I'm an, a knowledge addict and I'm standing at the wormholes that I can end up in on Google. Yeah. How did I end up looking at that when I started over there? Yeah. So these are, these are the amazing things of that time, but you better be educated, have access to knowledge, have food, have shelter, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, I'm in the 1% to 5% of world privileged and I never take it for granted. Mm. I don't pretend that the majority of the world doesn't have what I don't have. That's why Mm. I do what I do. Mm. I'm very Mm. lucky. Yeah, yeah. And you, you just mentioned there that, you know, that we, we sit in, in this tiny percentage of privilege and because we don't, I think a lot of us, because we don't perhaps stretch out or have the opportunity to embrace where others are not privileged, we forget that we are such a tiny 
percentage. I mean, where do you think, um, where do you think the biggest gap lies between, you know, there's lots of nations all over the world, we could talk about countries, but, you know, you mentioned before, is it women? Is it, you know, where, where do you think the biggest gap lies in, um, in that privilege well, versus not? I, I won't presume to have expertise in, in the area because I don't. I will say that the, the largest gap I know that would benefit us all to address is women and girls. Education and opportunity for women and girls will benefit everybody because research shows us over and over and over and over again that when you give resources to women and educate girls, they give it back to the community. They don't seek to acquire wealth from, for themselves. Um, and whether it's something like the Green uh, Grameen Bank or Barefoot Engineers or any of the microloan um, organisations around the world, um, when you give $100, they'll pay all of it back. Or if they go become insolvent, they'll give 99 out of $100 back. That can't be said entirely for our male counterparts. Mm. So there, there's a lot of medicine. Also, if they have $100 and they buy some hens and the hens lay eggs and they've got more than they need, they'll sell some, but they'll also give a rooster and a hen to somebody else in order that they can also start to have that. Mm. And they'll tend to keep the wealth in the community as opposed to the man will be likely to build it for his family, then take his family off to better times, better places, which has its merit. But I think right now we need to give stuff back to our communities. Yeah, there's great distinction that because it's not about a lack of generosity it's about where that generosity is directed and where that nurturing right. is is directed and um you know i've um i've i'm a, a bit of a follower of um, julia gillard who's um over in london at king's college and and talks a lot about women and girls education and mm -hmm. that sort of thing and you know i i often wonder about all those untold stories, all those women who set up tiny, tiny businesses in, in Africa, in, you know, in some of the poorest countries of the world. And, you know, they're not, you know, big global millionaires and that sort of thing. But it's like you said before, it's, a, it's, it's this sense of them being enough, working hard for what they want and to better their community. But it's not a sense of not being enough there is a real we sense of all of those tiny tiny businesses kind of going well how can I well, you know I don't, I, yeah. I don't think women delineate quite the same I think yeah. as a gross generalization yeah. my experience is let's say we go into business and I'm mm. really successful at it the first mm. thing is I want my business community to feel like a community to belong yeah and I want to create a space that they'll feel joyful working in yeah. and then we will want to do something for someone else Yep. We won't want to just keep that for ourselves. We will ask ourselves, how are we doing good in the world? Yep. And, you know, um, I can say personally, when somebody asks me how much I earn, I feel slightly ill. It's a nauseating thing to be asked how much I earn. But for many men being asked how much they earn, it's a privilege to be able to say I earn X amount. Mm. So we... Um, more likely to say, ask me what I do for, not how much I earn for. Uh, yeah. So if you were to ask me what I do for, I will tell you all the things I love and do for the many people I'm connected to yeah. uh, and how I use the money that, that comes into my life, but not what I earn. Mm. And I think that's, that's something I see in lots of women. If I have 100 women 
and I ask them what really matters to you, they will say something like, I would like to think that for my family and for the people around me and in time for a broader community, I leave the world a better place. Mm. And mm. I ask the same of a group of men and they're more likely to say something. I'd like to know that, you know, I got to earn what was fair and right in my lifetime and I provided for my family. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Really interesting. I want to sort of segue a little bit and talk about um, the connection between women and the future of our planet and the role um, that uh, that you know they take in that. I, mean, I first met you, um, well, not in the physical space, but online uh, through um, Homeward Bound, uh, and and that specifically is about you know equipping women in STEM. To, to really lead the future of our planet. So would you talk a little bit about how Homeward Bound um, began and, and sort of what was behind that and how what you've talked about is yourself with women in visibility, a leadership activist, social entrepreneur and passionate about, about the future of our planet. How did all of that come into what, what has become Homeward Bound? Well, you know, that's, uh, you know, part of this, the history and the true storytelling of Homeward. It, it's for the listener's perspective, it's Homeward Bound Projects. And you go online and you'll be able to learn a lot about who we are. If you just put Homeward Bound in, you'll end up with an amazing animal shelter in America. <laughs> Homeward, Homeward Bound, Bound Projects. Project. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is a global initiative to elevate the visibility of women leading with a STEM background. And it came from a dream I had in October of 2015. And frankly, I was in bed with my beautiful husband and into my sleeping head came this dream and I saw us on the front of a ship. I saw that we were in Antarctica. I've never been to Antarctica. I've just seen the many David Attenborough films and documentaries of uh, the icy regions. I saw the women and I kind of knew who they were I saw the banner Homeward Bound on the left-hand side of the room we were in, which was at the bow of the ship. I saw a film crew behind us and I knew we were making a film that interrogated the narrative of leadership but through the eyes of women. And I knew we were giving these women skills to be more visible in our world and I knew they were all STEM. So all that's in the dream. And I wake up in the morning and I go, oh, my God, that was so real. That was like... That is so real. And then the other part of my brain goes, that felt so doable. What a wild, crazy idea. I've always wanted to go to Antarctica. Maybe I can come up with an idea about how to take a lot of people to Antarctica with me. And um, I rang. Well, I told my husband about it when I woke up, and he uh, he's a philosopher. And uh, he, he, as a true philosopher, he said, oh, that's an interesting idea. Anyway, what are we having for breakfast? And so I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere with that. I told my then business partner, who I'm now separated from, about the idea and that I wanted to explore it, and he said these immortal words over my dead body, which led to the setup of Homeward Bound eventually as an independent not-for-profit. Uh, but instead of talking to him or other people in the business, I talked to a young um, Rhodes Scholar of Biologist, Jess, Dr Jess Melbourne-Thomas, and I told her on the morning of the dream that I'd had the dream, and I said, I know this sounds weird, but... I think it has legs. What do you think, Jess? And Jess had dreadlocks down to her bottom, was very can-do sort of character and had done our, our Compass Women's Program uh, 18 months prior. She said, I think it has legs. Why don't you try writing it down? 
And that day I had a three-hour meeting cancelled. It never happens to me or it never happens that if I have a three-hour meeting cancelled, there aren't 32 other things that immediately lock into that spot. Yeah. So that morning <clears throat> I wrote down the bones of Homeward Bound <clears throat> and it was 10 pages later. It was pretty clear in, in my brain what I could do and who could be involved including the um, famed filmed faculty, which included people like Sylvia Earle, Jane Goodard, Bob Kaplan, which brings us to your business associates table. And um, within two months, a very small team of us had got together and we'd shaken hands at a desk outside the Australian Antarctic Division in, in Tasmania and said, we're going to give it a shot. And uh, this, so that was the dream was in the beginning of October. And by the end of October, we had escalated that 10-page paper up through the Australian Antarctic Division. And at every port of call, slight feedback, slight nuance. But everyone said it was a great idea. We should do it. And then sign off by the Australian Antarctic Division's Chief Scientist, Nick Gale, to do it, they can't fund us, but they can tell us it's worth doing. We knew we had something that was worthwhile. We gave ourselves six months to get our first group of women, and we had 180 responses to an expression of interest for 40 spots within four weeks. So we knew we had a winning idea. The rest is history of how long it took to get us on a ship to Antarctica was two years, and in that early stages is when I met the famous Kit Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, who is your business partner and um, I was looking for someone with Kaplan and Norton, the famous Kaplan and Norton's strategy skills. And I had three people that I was recommended to. I'd spoken to two already. And then I spoke to Kit and I went, ah, home, my kind <laughs> <of> woman. <laughs> yes. And so Kit became one of the founding members of Homeward Band and brought to it. A, she tore out of my head the strategy for Homeward Band, which is a gift she has and then um, became that tiny, brave band of, of soldiers who went into bat for Homeward Bound 1 and all we learned from that. So why scientists? Uh, I've often asked myself because, God damn, they're some of the hardest people in the world to work for. Yeah. I've, never, I've yeah. never had so much feedback or had to face my own um, fallibility as intensely as I have in Homeward Bound. Uh, but I've learned gargantuan amount. And, you know, I think in the dream there were the things that matter to me. One is the practice of leadership desperately needs challenging. Two, we need women at the leadership table. Three, pay attention to science as it informs what's happening to the planet. It's not perfect, but it's the best we've got. And finally, act on behalf of the planet, which is in crisis. And that all came together in the dream. And I think at every turn where we've talked about that narrative, um, everyone's gone, of course, of course. So there was never a no in Homeward Bound. Mm. So by sponsors and women, and we're now up to our seventh cohort, and we'll be going out to market in um, September for our eighth. And, you know, whilst COVID has interrupted our uh, travels to Antarctica, um, watch this space for an announcement. Wow. For watch this space for many things, I think, from Homeward Bound mm-hmm. projects in, in years to come, I think, and from the how many women have actually been through the program today? Do you have a, a number to hand? I mean, coming up to 700. Yeah, I mean, um, that's 700 women. Yeah. Yes. And the, 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 the three principles are I'm more able to lead, 
we, uh, we are better if we collaborate and we have to have an impact. And so the next stage for the cohorts that did the online program, so everything is, uh, it's all not-for-profit now. We, we registered during COVID for not-for-profit. I've stepped down as the voluntary CEO and I'm now full-time in Datna Group and helping Homeward Bound, yeah. uh, which has also yeah. been a big lesson. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 I, I was speaking to someone um, last week, someone else was on the podcast and talking about, you know, what it's like when when you create the legacy and then have to step away from it. Um, I'm not a mother, but I imagine it's a bit like kind of sending your child off to do whatever they're Something. going to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I must say I, I think I've managed with Homeward Bound something I would never do with my children. Um, extremely close to my kids and the idea of uh, separating from them, I, I couldn't do and okay. touch wood, I never yeah. have to do. Yeah. But for Homeward Bound, I think it reached a point, I'm on the board and I am, we have a, an organisation called the Basara Circle, which is a, a growing collective that I lead of amazing women internationally who bring a wealth of expertise uh, and wisdom to Homeward Bound and they include people like Christiana Figueres, Masimbi Canioro, um, uh, Abinabusia, who's the Ghani's uh, ambassador to Brazil, um, uh, Elaine Martin, who heads up uh, the philanthropic arm of Fidelity, which is the largest world, the world's largest philanthropic fund. So all of them, Krista Tippett, you might be interested to hear, is on the edge of coming in, one of the most celebrated mm. um, podcasters in US history. Um, and um, all these women, and Michelle de Jong, who's a very celebrated Australian Indigenous leader. We've also got a, um, a Cree leader. Uh, the idea is that all these women represent very different nuances culturally of how leadership is born and executed in the world. Um, so I'm, I'm very heavily involved with that. Mm. Uh, and, of course, um, less so on the day-by-day delivery side of it now. Yeah. Yeah, and as you said, you've you've sort of, I guess, come back full circle, isn't it? Come back full time into into Datna Group. Um, so yeah. I know that um, that um, your passion is about women in leadership, and and um, I know your Compass program in particular. Um, is that the full focus of Datna Group? Is it always about oh, women no, in leadership, no, or no. is it leadership? No. bigger and it's, the big part yeah. of that passion is leadership yeah. and cultural transformation and creating yeah. places where people feel joy and hope and agency yeah uh at all levels so yeah. we have three arms to the datna group uh the first is the consultancy so we do a significant amount of consultancy to organizations um mostly in the southern hemisphere uh, on transformational change, purpose, values, engagement, um, but we also do selected work internationally. Um, we do a huge amount of um, leadership development in that context, huge amount, and that's really for both men and women. Mm-hmm. The middle arm of the Datna Group is a, a big coaching business that is about people, men and women, at all levels of coaching, but we also have a big arm around career transition and helping people find places where they fit, they're paid what is fair and equitable, and they have that sense of, uh, again, I use the word agency or control over who I'm becoming. 
And we do a lot of work in that. We have a big body of um, coaches. And then the third arm is our work with women. Uh, and uh, Compass is the, the public-facing arm of our work with women. Um, uh, but an example, we have um, the very celebrated uh, Academic Women in Leadership Program with Melbourne University as well. And so we are looking to build uh, an approach to leadership that is kinder, more inclusive, authentic, more collaborative between women. And Compass is our flagship uh, public program. So if anyone's interested and wants to go online, just look up Datna Group, then the word Compass, and they will see what we do for women. So we sort of have three major layers in the Compass program is the the foundations, which is a, a quite a bread and butter process, and it's online. We have the Compass flagship program, which runs over three months. We then have Compass Advance for women who really want to work on a project or an idea. And then we have Compass Executive, which we're launching in March next year, but always the same song line for a sustainable world, we over I, um, acting for the greater good, science informs what we do and how and where do you change your organisation's dynamic, your team's dynamic or your approach mm. that enables a kinder and more generous world. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I, um, I think what's really interesting is that I love um, the use of compass, actually. There's, a, there's a, a lovely piece of language around, you know, this is not just, it's about finding your path, but it's, a, it's about kind of navigating rather than, yeah. you know, racing ahead. You know, we talked about how, you know, the, the world is changing. Uh, you know, we're at the, at the forefront, we hope, of different styles of leadership and how do we do things differently? How do you talk before? I'm, I'm really fascinated also about how, how will cities of the future look? How can we be smarter yeah. and cleverer? Um, in repurposing what we've got first and then building out, you know, what is going to serve us all better. Um, but I love that, I that analogy. interesting, uh, yeah. Kim, uh, about a compass. Um, a compass is a, naviga a tool of navigation. It is. And uh, if you rush forward, you may rush into something you don't need, want, or that can be harmful. On the mm. other hand... If you stay put, you'll never get anywhere. So compass is a tool of navigation and it requires skill to orient yourself in principle to true north. Yeah. And that, you know, 10 to 14 degree variation from north as it shows on the compass to magnetic north and what that difference means. Mm. And it helps you orient yourself. You can, in space and time, you can triangulate yourself between where you are where you would like to be and the outcome you might want. And those are all terms of navigation. Mm. And I think it brings a considered approach to your choices into the future. Mm. Um, and I think we all need to do that. Yeah. And a holistic approach. I think yes. too. that's where that's what it also feels like. It's not just yes. carving out one little piece and going, I'm just going to navigate that bit. It's navigating as a whole. Isn't it? We are whole yeah. people, not part people. Which is part of what the lovely Kit Jackson Jackson has brought to Homeward Bound with the personal strategy map. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that personal strategy. Um, well, I talked to Kit on a previous episode a long time ago about that. So well, just um, for listeners' benefit, I love Kit dearly. <laughs> 
she's very lovable. Yeah, we do yes. a lot of lot of work together, Kit and I. Um, so uh, what were we talking about? Yeah, so um, so where um, are you kind of, now you're back full-time in Datna Group and, and sort of thinking about, oh, you know, what are we doing? Um, you talked about the launch of Compass Executive and that sort of thing. So what are your, you know, what, what's sort of coming up? What's the bigger game for you with Datna Group now that you're back full-time? Oh, well, uh, it's, it's not that I've come back in full-time. I was full-time. Oh, okay. I just added Homeward Band on Oh, the Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. and, you know, as Kit, as the lovely Kit would say, it was a slightly unconscious trade-off. Yes. So I I, I did a lot of training off of my family. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, interestingly enough, um, this uh, August holiday that I'm about to go on is the first decent holiday I've been on in seven years. And for uh, from 2016 for four years, every uh, season, in Antarctic was I took as my holidays because I couldn't yep. double up, and uh, like uh, many in Homeward Bound's early days, we all donated our time, uh, and you couldn't take, you know, five weeks out to deliver Homeward Bound and then take a holiday on top of it. Yeah, and then uh, COVID struck, and so this is really the first holiday that my beautiful husband and I have been on together, albeit with uh, members of our family. Uh, so. Uh, for me, I have a sort of a a, um, a very integrated approach to my life in terms of well-being, health, family. My purpose is threaded into all of it. I, I don't section it out. <clears throat> Briefly, I did with Homeward Bound. Mm. <clears throat> so really I'm getting back to the flow of a life that tells a story. And so I have a lot of writing in what I do. I have the book and journey of Homeward Bound that's written in my head and I want to get it down on paper. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I wrote a book uh, in 1990 which Penguin published called Nothing Ventured, Nothing Gained. I think I want to do Nothing Ventured, Nothing Gained Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's uh, brilliant. Uh, I uh, also, uh, we are uh, growing our company exponentially at the moment to influence uh, a sustainable approach to leadership little bit by little bit. And I know many people, it's the first time I've been able to take time off in August and know the company's running in other hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will be doing much more writing and speaking. Nice, nice. You um, And you've always, I think, you know, my experience of you is that you've always sort of been on the speaking circuit, if you like. That's been a bit of a thread through through everything as well. Mm. Yeah, well, it's not so much on the speaking circuit. <clears throat> I speak to and with people all the time about what's possible in our world and yeah. I have a very intimate relationship with audiences. I don't stand on a stage no. separate from them and I think one of the reasons why people love it when we get to spend time together is not because I'm something they look up and out to but it feels like home yeah. and it feels like I say things that they want to hear, that they feel themselves. Mm. And uh, I think the value of that is to help validate uh, the power of the common voice, the power of uh, the wisdom of crowds. Mm. Uh, the truth is sitting there and because I, I work with listen to ordinary people all the time, I can act as a sounding box 
when that voice doesn't feel like it's being heard properly and that's what I do uh, as an inverted commas speaker. Yeah. I think I'm an amplifier more than a speaker. Okay. Oh, I like that. It's a nice term, although I would never position you as a black box in the corner, Fabi. Can I, can I just say that? No. So, so me neither. No, no, I don't think so. Um, so uh, you you talked about um, Compass, uh, the flagship. I believe you've got um, a program coming up in September. Is in that September, right? That the yes. people can inquire about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And what I say to people is uh, if you're in a transition, if you feel there's got to be more to life than this, if you are working somewhere and you can see the next step, if you're at home questioning what happens after children or what happens after COVID, then you will love Compass. Mm -hmm. It's one of those deeply nurturing, intellectually rich, challenging, but wildly collaborative experiences. And we have an expectation that people come out the other end and almost unanimously say, that changed my life. And not because we did something to get them to drink the Kool-Aid, but because when it's honest, it's safe, it's loving, and you have a voice and it's intelligently nurtured, then we always get more out of it ourselves. Mm. Everyone grows. Mm. So mm. I would love that members of your audience jump in yeah. for the September program. Yeah, we will, um, listeners, we'll put uh, those details along with everything else Fabian has talked about um, in the show notes. Um, I've got books, I've got links, I've got all sorts of things. So um, listeners will have um, a lovely time in those show notes. So um, what, um, what I like to ask uh, of our guests, um, build, well, firstly, Building Brand New is a very action-oriented brand. It's not about doing a lot of talking. It is about um, getting into action and trying stuff on and, and working out how to unlock you, not just paint on a brand, but unlock you. So um, do you have any particular um, nuggets or philosophies or something you'd just like to leave our listeners with today uh, that would they could go and, and put in action tomorrow or today? Sure, sure. Um, if you get a piece of paper mm -hmm. and you draw on that piece of paper a series of concentric circles, starting from a very small circle to progressively bigger and bigger circles. And let's say you do on a piece of A4 white paper, six circles, and the one at the very centre, just write the word you in there. And just for a moment with an idea in mind, uh, something you're trying to achieve or do, write the idea at the top of that piece of paper. And then on the circle on your piece of paper just outside of you, write down the people who are in your immediate vicinity to talk to or connect with about that idea. That's about the best piece of advice I can give. And I'm not, and I say this with great respect to you personally, Kim, but I wish with all my heart that we say brand us. Uh, brand us, not brand you. Uh, I think you will find great joy as a human being when you know you're connected and that you say, if I have this idea 
Who do I want to share that idea with? If I have an idea of me in the world, who will I share that idea of me with? Find your your three or four people and let them mould and change an idea and grow it until there are four of you who own the idea. And it's not so much brand you, but it's brand us. Um, We live in a time where we need to find our way back to belonging And we belong at our greatest when we see the threads of connection. And the fascinating thing about growing that community is you will achieve more than in your wildest dreams you thought was possible. If someone had said to me six years ago, you would have created a global organisation in 56 countries with 46 sciences, I would have gone, well, I think I'm going to go and have brekkie with my husband. But on the morning I had the dream of Homeward Bound, I rang one person. And the history of change, when you build an idea or a brand, no one follows that in isolation. You have Mm. to find people you influence. And on the bell curve, it's the first 15% of people you talk to, everyone else will follow the 15%, not you. You have to remember that if you are initiating a brand or an idea, Um, where is your 15% of people that will be with you owning the idea as their own? And as for just brand you in public domain, I'm a great believer that, um, as has been said by the loved and lovable visibility team in Homeward Bound, um, visibility without purpose is vanity. Mm. I'd rather ask you, why do you as a human being want to be visible to what end for what community? And when you can answer, here's my end game and here's my community, you can know deeply that you're on the right path. Yeah, perfect. I love that. It's about building a brand to serve the purpose, not building a brand in and of itself or or being about you. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for those those challenging little insights there. I don't know whether building brand us will take take me somewhere, but it's, I love the philosophy of it that, that, you know, how do you make it, how do you make you into us, you into we? I love that. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, isn't it an interesting thing? No one has done building brand us. Mm. No one has done yeah. building brand us because it's it's part of the world we're going towards if we are to survive. Yeah. In. Yeah. We we will I will know my part in us. Yeah. And in the end, you're gonna die really soon. Mm, you want to leave yeah. a legacy, you've got to engage people. Yeah, definitely. And how will people get in contact with you, Fabian? Um, uh, we'll put all your, your contact in the show notes, but is there a preferred way you like to people yes, to get in sure. touch they with you? Yes, sure. They can email me. Yep. They can email one. It's fabian at datnagroup.com.au. Yep. Great. Uh, they can contact Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at datnagroup.com.au. Yep. And Hannah's my executive assistant. They can contact Liz at datnagroup.com.au if they've got an idea or want to expand on something. Mm-hmm. They can contact Emily at datnagroup.com.au if they want to discuss anything to do with women or compass. But they can contact me quite directly. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, we will put, as I said, we'll put all of that in the show notes so um, people can can find their own way 
um, uh, to you and um, and your lovely team. I have to say, Hannah, um, I have spent a little bit of time messaging and she has been awesome. Absolutely yeah, awesome. I'll tell yeah, I'll She's lovely. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So I think all that's left for me really to do, Fabian, is to thank you uh, for your for your time and your generosity today. I also want to thank you for your your wisdom and your passion and and your commitment to us all stepping forward and being part of something that is greater than ourselves. So, so thank you so much. Um, it has been a joy. It has been a joy to do this with you today. Thank you, Kim. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. More from Building Brand You next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Building Brand You podcast. I'm Kim Hamer. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For all the latest news and special offers, hot tips, and exclusive content, you can also become a member of the Building Brand You Facebook group. Just type Building Brand You into the Facebook search box and request to join. And if you want to unlock your reputation, your results, and your impact right away, our new program, The Vice Squad, is now live. You'll find the link to find out more and to register your place in the show notes. I help people to accelerate their success by unlocking their greatest asset. If you'd like to find out more, please book in for a free 20-minute coaching call at calendly.com forward slash Kim Hamer forward slash BBY chat. Accelerate your results by unlocking your greatest asset, you.